It's good to see each of you here, and I'm thankful that you have come. I want to encourage you as we begin to take your Bibles out and find Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be reading in just a moment the first six verses and then looking at verses in chapters 3 and 4. So Exodus chapter 3 is where you want to turn. The title of this morning's message is The Limitless Supply of the Heaven Sent. And of course, the heaven sent are you and me. But we have something that no one can see but is very real, and that is a limitless supply, and we're going to talk about that today. If I was going to sum up this morning's message, it would be simply this. Jesus is enough. He is enough. In this series of studies that we've been calling The God Who Sins, we've been exploring passages of Scripture where that statement is actually made, that God is sending someone, and each time we're trying to understand what is God teaching us about Himself when He sends us, when He sends someone to do His will. And so if you found your place in Exodus chapter 3, please follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was not burning with fire, but the, the, burst, the bush, excuse me, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Would you pray with me? Father, would you take your word and with your mighty and precious Holy Spirit, would you Use this word to bring us face to face with you. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. With these words, God is about to send an 80-year-old man on a most amazing mission, not just of his life, but perhaps of any life that's ever been lived, an amazing mission from God. He sees a bush. Now for years, 40 years, he's been working as a shepherd. You'll remember that he was put on a, a little lifeboat out in the river by his mother as a way of saving his life when all the babies his age were being killed by Pharaoh, by the Egyptian leadership, because the Hebrew people were just as slaves were becoming too numerous and too powerful and you remember the story how Pharaoh's daughter found him 
and he actually was nursed by his mother, raised by her, but ultimately was raised in the halls of the most powerful government on the planet at that time. But he began to identify with the people of God. He saw the Hebrews as his people. He knew where he came from, and one day seeing a Hebrew being beaten, he intervened and killed the man who was beating the Hebrew. When that was uncovered, Pharaoh wanted to kill him, and so he escaped into the wilderness. And I believe that Moses thought, for all intents and purposes, that his great idea of a rescue mission of the Hebrew people was over. For 40 years, he was a shepherd. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, he is not expecting to have a meeting with God. He's not looking forward to it. I don't believe he's backslidden. I don't believe he's become a mean, terrible, ugly, sinful, awful person. But he just thought this was what all his life was ever going to be. Just a shepherd, the backside of nowhere, taking care of a group of dumb sheep. That's all he thought. And then he sees this fire in a bush. And this fire captures his attention. And this fire represents and becomes very clear that this is the presence of God. But it's coexisting, it's inhabiting a created thing. And this fire is unusual because it needs no fuel to exist. It it doesn't need the bush in order to burn. It uses the bush, it lights up the bush, but it doesn't need the bush. Do you think God's saying something to Moses just by the way he appeared to him? He doesn't need Moses, but he intends to use Moses. But Moses is not going to supply anything that is needed for the mission, except just to do what God says. I believe that that thought process would have been something like this. You are the bush, Moses. I'm about to send you on a mission, and I don't need anything from you. You simply need to go where I send you. I will supply you with everything you need. You will never reach the limits of my ability to take care of you. Moses makes excuses. Do you identify with that? He makes several excuses, four or five or six, depending on how you count, how you, how you break it down. But as the Father deals with Moses' excuses and his objections, we learn more about the heart of the God who sins. And I want us to do that this morning. We learn that God is the one, the one who sins, is the one who also supplies everything. So he is enough. And there are many things that he supplies, but this morning I want you to see just four from this encounter with Moses. Four things that God supplies when he sends you. He is enough when he sends you, number one, first of all, he makes the decisions. He makes the decisions. I don't know what we're thinking sometimes. But somehow that God saved us for heaven... And the rest of the time, he's just there to help us when we're in trouble. Well, he certainly does help us when we're in trouble. But he made you for far more than just to be a helpless thing that needs to be rescued all the time. He wants to do something with your life. In verse 11, but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Who am I? 
God's saying, I'm going to send you to do this, but who am I, he says. I'm a nobody. I'm nothing. I can't tell you how many times over the years people have come to me with a great ministry idea that that they have in their mind and that they feel intensely and that they think would be really good if I did it. That's not the way it's supposed to work. God has made you, as we've seen the last two weeks, God has made you for a purpose. God has made you for a mission. And when I would mention to someone like that, that perhaps they see this so clearly, they feel this so intensely, because God is putting this on their heart. God is putting this mission on their heart. They say, oh no, who am I? I don't know anything. I can't do anything like that. I'm a nobody. I don't amount to anything. That's what Moses was doing here. God, I think it's a really grand idea that you want to rescue three million people out of slavery. I think that's a grand idea, God, but I'm not your guy. And he begins to make excuse after excuse. Who am I? Three times this word I shows up. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You are making a big mistake, God, if you think I'm the one to do that. But Moses had just missed something that God had said to him. When you back up to verses 7 and 8 and and look at what God actually said, listen to what he says. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them. You see that? I've heard their cry. They've been calling out to me, oh God, save us. Oh God, set us free. Oh God, rescue us. I've heard their cry. So what's he doing? He says, I have come down. God's about to act. God is about to do something. And then listen in verse 10. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh. When he acts, he sends. When God gets ready to do something on earth, he raises up a man, he raises up a woman, he raises up a boy or girl, and he sends them to do that mission. And Moses heard that, he heard those words, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He heard that, but he didn't get it. That's a mystery to me. It really is how throughout the scripture and in, in life, when God gets ready to do something, he sends someone to do it. Is God absconding on his responsibility? Does, does God not care? No, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like you and me. Yes, he sent his son. He is God made man. He is God in the flesh, but when he sends us, even now, he sends us individually as human beings to accomplish things. One of the great stories in scripture, Matthew chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, but when Jesus, it says, saw the masses, he felt compassion on them. He, he felt something viscerally. That's what that compassion word means. He felt something in his gut when he saw the masses. So he turns to his disciples And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You see, we don't have a harvest problem, ever. It's always a labor shortage. He says, therefore pray the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. And that word send out is really interesting to me because it's the same word used when Jesus cast demons out of people. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would expel laborers out into his harvest. Cast them out into the harvest. Hudson Taylor was missionary to China in the 19th century. He's well known for many things. He, he was radically different in the way he approached sharing the gospel with people. He began to dress like they dressed, wore their hair the way they wore their hair, spoke their language. In that day and time, you, you tried to make the people you were reaching a Westerner first. You tried to change their dress, change their language, change their education first, and then you shared the gospel with them. But he, he turned all that upside down. And so he began to dress like a, a Chinese person dressed. He, he wore his hair like that, spoke their language, and, and, and he had a tremendous effect on China. He walked with God by faith, and he learned so much. And, and his teaching as a missionary applies to us who are missionaries today in Wynn, Arkansas. I want you to hear something that he said. He said, after reading the Scripture, really studying, trying to understand how God deploys missionaries, how God sends people out, this is what he said. I learned that to obtain successful laborers, not elaborate appeals for help, but first, earnest prayer to God to thrust forth laborers. Have you heard that before? I bet he read Matthew 9. Pray to God to thrust forth laborers. And second, listen to this, the deepening of the spiritual life of the church so that men should be unable to stay at home. You can make appeals, you can beg, but what's, what's really at issue is a heart issue. There's no fire. There's no fire. And when the fire burns, you can't stay where you are. You have this sense of calling. You have this sense of being sent. And so there's this beautiful picture in the Scripture that begins to unfold in the New Testament. It's hinted at in the Old Testament. It's made clear in the New Testament. You find it in passages like Ephesians 4. Again, you can just make a note of that and go back and read it for yourself. We know that passage because it, it gives the, the job description of the pastors of the church. It says the job description of the pastors of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, not to do all the ministry of the church as a paid employee. It says the pastor's role is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so you have a ministry. But then it goes on and it describes the equipping process. This is what's beautiful. This is what's interesting. Because we are the body of Christ. Amen? But there is a reality to that that equipping makes real. Here's the reality. To edify the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ, doesn't mean filling your heads with knowledge. As you go and read that text, it says to equip the saints so that they grow up in all things in love, grow up in all things into the head. Who is the head of the body? Jesus Christ. He is not like a head. He is the head. And so the equipping process is really not difficult. It's a matter of helping someone come to a place in their spiritual growth, in their spiritual journey, that that man, that woman, that boy, that girl begins to hear direction from God for themselves. 
not for the pastor to tell everybody what to do, but to bring an individual to a place to where they hear God and they recognize His voice. Jesus said in John 10, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And so here's the picture. The God who sinned is that you and I, as we respond to Him, as we grow up into the head, all of us grow up into the head, we receive everything we need for our spiritual life and assignment from Him. We draw it from Him. And can you imagine what happens when the Lord gets a hold of 100 people or 200 people where He can direct every heart where He wants that heart to be and where He wants it to go? Pick up the book of Acts. That's what you'll read about. That's what's described there. Is the head directing the body and then the sending can happen. The sending can happen. Why is Moses struggling? Who am I? Why is he struggling? Because the focus at that moment in his heart is not on God. It's not on what God has said. His focus at that moment is on himself. It's on his resources, his ability. I am inadequate, God. I can't do anything. I don't have the talents. I don't have the abilities. And realizing that he doesn't possess any of those qualities, being able to lead three million people out of slavery into freedom, realizing he doesn't have that, he's scared to death. Filled with anxiety. Filled with fear. I can't do this, God. But then, as we read Exodus, and he moves from the experience of the plagues, and he moves through the crossing of the Red Sea, and he moves through the early stages in the wilderness until he gets to Mount Horeb. You see what's happening is progressively Moses, who at one point said, I I can't do it, who am I? You see him progressively. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron, his brother, because that was God's concession to Moses' fear and anxiety. God speaks to Moses. Moses speaks to Aaron. Aaron speaks to everybody else. Aaron throws down the rod. Aaron raises his hands, and all that kind of stuff happens. But as you move through the book of Exodus, what happens is that Aaron fades to the background, and Moses steps to the foreground. He has changed. He's no longer afraid. He's no longer saying, who am I? Now, what changed? When you, when you come to Exodus 32, Exodus 33, Exodus 34. Moses is on Mount Horeb, face to face with God, not eating, not drinking, 40 days, 40 nights, face to face with God, comes off the mountain, and yes, the people messed up while he was up there. They worshiped a golden calf. Aaron was in on that, and God restored his people. They were forgiven, but Moses is being transformed. He is face to face with God. He's called a friend of God, And after he begins to focus his attention on God and who he is and his power and his might, he's not worried about himself anymore. Because he's seen God. And he knows the resources of God. The limitless supply of the God who sins. He's not afraid anymore. He comes off that mountain and he speaks for God the rest of his life. 
Never again does Aaron speak in this place. Never again does he need a substitute. He is free. Now the truth is that the more any of us gets to know God, the less we're afraid of anything else. One of the things that fear reveals in your heart and my heart is an area of my life where I'm not trusting the Lord. The opposite of fear is not fearlessness. The opposite of fear is faith. It's faith. And God has called us to walk by faith, not by fear. Now, faith isn't being able to see something. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And as you and I begin to focus on Him, it changes us. The truth is, you were never meant to make the decisions of your life. The sin in the Garden of Eden, the core sin, the root sin, was independence. An independent spirit. Eve, God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. You will be as God's. Able to make up for yourself the difference between right and wrong. Eve, you don't need God. You don't need some God telling you what to do. Do you really have to go to him and ask him what his will is and everything? To think that you can do your life without the guidance of God is a lie from hell. The truth is you and I need him in every decision that we make. I am not adequate. I am not adequate. I am not adequate. If you feel inadequate this morning, it's because you are inadequate. He supplies the decisions of your life. Secondly, when he sends you, he gives the words. Verse 13, then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He gives the words. What did God say? He answered. He said, Yes. If they ask you who sent you, tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. We use the word Yahweh to describe the holy name of God. No one is quite sure exactly how it was pronounced. It was so sacred to the Hebrew scribes who copied the Old Testament that they just put in the letters, transliterated Y-H-W-H, and they supplied the vowels from the word Adonai, which means Lord, so we got the word Yahweh from it. Uh, Some of the old Bibles would say Jehovah. Those are all made-up names. We don't exactly know what it was. But the essence of it is I am that I am. I was what I was. I will be what I will be. I simply exist. So God God supplies the, the words that Moses needs to give. Here's the point. The message is his message. God never looks to you and me to come up with what to say. He doesn't need your help. And I'm thankful. He doesn't need my help. He has a word. He has words for you to share with others. And our focus should not be on what can I say, but what ought I say. What is on your heart, Lord? What is it that you want me to share with this person? How do you want me to respond to this individual or this situation? So he has something to say, so he sends someone. 
Now, here's the kicker. He doesn't always tell you ahead of time what you're going to say. This business with Moses was just a, a gracious act of God to Moses, but he doesn't always tell you ahead of time what you need to say. In Mark chapter 13, verse 11, in a worst-case circumstance, Jesus said, when they arrest you and deliver you up, do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. There's no time to study or get up a Bible lesson, but whatever is given you in that hour, whatever is given you in that hour, who gives it? Who gives it? God, whatever is given you in that hour, speak, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Yes, there's times when you may be asked to speak, teach a Bible study, talk to someone, and you've got time to prepare. And God may speak to you through that preparation and reflection process. If you know me, I study. I do prepare. But I'm also trying to understand, God, what is it that you want to say to your people? And sometimes you get to do that. Sometimes you don't have time to prepare. Like Jesus is saying here, sometimes things will come at you so fast, all you can do is pray my favorite prayer and say, Jesus, help me. And let God lead you as you speak. There's other times where you prepare and you get ready to speak and he discards your preparation. Oh, I don't like that one. That's happened numerous times in my life. I have prepared, gotten ready to speak to a group, and as I walk up the steps, God says, you're not going to say that. This past week, I spoke to about 300 pastors in Little Rock at an annual prayer conference for pastors, Baptist pastors in Arkansas, about 300 guys, and I was just part of a lineup of speakers. And about three months ago, a friend of mine who was leading that conference called me up, said, Don, I'd like you to speak. You've got 10 minutes, and I'd like you to deal with this, this issue. And all I want you to do is address this and, and just use it to set the men up to pray. I said, okay. For three months, I have prayed about those 10 minutes. For three months, I have prepared approximately 20 messages, each one of them much longer than 10 minutes. On, the, on Monday night, my hotel room, we had had our first meeting Monday night, and then we had it Tuesday, and I was speaking on Tuesday. Monday night, I'm laying there, and I'm saying, oh, God, and something would come to mind. I, I wrote it down on a piece of paper, a little scratch sheet of paper. I, I wrote a few things down. I got up the next morning. I really didn't have time to do anything. I had to go to an early meeting, and I got to that early meeting, and I'm sitting through that conference, and I'm praying like this, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Have you ever been there? As I walked up to the platform, everything sort of fell into place in my mind. I spoke for 10 minutes. You didn't think I could do that, but I did. And God spoke. Called my wife later in the car on the way home. She said, How did it go? I said, I. I think the Lord used it. I do. Judging from my interactions with some of the pastors. She said, well, what did you share? I said, I honestly can't tell you. I can tell you the pieces. I started getting emails from pastors on Wednesday and Thursday this week. One of them said, 
uh, Don, he said, that was very meaningful to me personally. He said, can you send me your notes? For a split second, I thought, well, maybe I can write something down and send it to him. I said, brother, I can't send you the notes. I'll be happy, though, to come sometime. You can buy my lunch. I'll tell you what I think, I said. When he sends you, he gives you the words. Number three, when he sends you, he owns the outcomes. He owns the outcomes. And by that, I mean the results of what you do. He owns that. He is responsible for that. In chapter 4, verse 1, then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. God's not spoken to you. Who do you think you are, Moses? What if they say stuff like that? In other words, what if no one listens to me? And so God begins to try to help Moses out. He says, well, Moses, if they won't believe you, take this rod, throw it down. It's going to become a big snake. It's going to impress everybody. Pick it up by its tail. It's going to become a rod again. Do the rod thing. If they don't believe you when that happens, then, then I want you to take your, your hand, put it inside your, your cloak, pull it out. It's going to be filled up with leprosy. It's going to scare everybody to death. Then put it back in your coat, pull it out. It'll be normal. Everybody will be impressed. But if they still don't believe you, take some water from a well, pour it out. It's going to become blood, and all the water in the lands will become blood. And while he was speaking, Moses comes up with the next excuse, which I'll, I'll share with you in just a moment. But you know what God was saying to Moses? I got this. Whether they believe or not is not up to you. It's not your responsibility to make people trust God. It's not, your, it's not in your power to change a human heart. It's not in your ability to do anything except what God tells you to do. Leave the results to God. It's his responsibility. Last year, we, we studied John Chapter 14, 15, about a year ago, and this concept of abiding in Christ. Jesus was leaving physically and was trying to explain to his disciples how they would continue to follow him even though he was not here physically. And he said, I'm going to send my spirit. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then he says, let me draw you a picture. And, and go ahead and pull that, that picture up on the screen. Go ahead and skip the text. I'll, we'll read the text in a moment. Go ahead and put that scripture. There it is. Hey, let me, let me read the scripture. And if you want to flip back to it, okay. We're, we're just catching up here. Abide in me, John 15, verses 4 and 5. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. There's no results apart from abiding in Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Now look at this picture. That vine comes up on the left side. There's a branch that comes out to the right. On the end of that branch, you'll see the fruit. Jesus is all about you and I bearing fruit. Those are the results. Those are the, the things we want to see happen. Those are changed lives, people being saved. Uh, new classes and Bible study groups being formed. Just a spiritual dynamic that we want to see. We want to see fruit born. But nowhere in the text does Jesus say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bear fruit. You are responsible for fruit bearing. Nowhere. 
And dear ones, because we think that we're responsible to produce the fruit, that we're responsible for results, we are killing our churches and we are killing pastors in North America. Literally, they are taking their life over the expectations that somehow we are responsible to produce the fruit. What did Jesus say to do? You're the branch, he says. I'm the vine. Here's what you got to do. Abide in me. Dear one, that's a relationship. That's you and him. That's where the fire comes from. That's where the words come from. That's where the decisions come from. That's where everything you need for life comes from. It's in the context of that abiding relationship with Christ, you and Him. That's all He's asked you to do. Abide in me and you'll have the same kind of relationship that I had with my disciples when I was physically on earth. I will lead you, I will point the way, I will empower you, I will put the words in your mouth, I will be with you, I will be in you, I will be your environment. Just abide in me. And I in you. And just as the branch can't produce fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me, he says. Simple, isn't it? But boy, we spend all our time on the far end of the branch, don't we? trying to make stuff happen in our life. Let's make it happen, make it happen, make it happen, make it happen. When he sends you, he owns the results. He owns the outcomes. And then finally, number four, when he sends you, he fills the gaps. This is great. He fills the gaps. What Moses said is not great, but what God does is great. Verse 10, then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. In other words, while we've been having this conversation, I didn't become eloquent, God. You see that? But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Remember he said that. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. But he said, Moses said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. And the Bible says next that God got angry. I don't know about you, but when God tells you to do something, when we blow him off, when we make excuses, do you think he's any less angry? Do you think he's pleased when we say no to something that that he says, you can do this, I'll be with your lips, I'll be with whatever inadequacy you've got. What is God saying to Moses when he talks about the statement, who has made man's mouth, or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind, have not I the Lord? You know what he's saying to Moses? Listen to this. Moses, I never created anyone who didn't need me. I never made a human being who didn't need me. So if you've got a need, I created you in such a way that you needed me. I didn't make self-sufficient men and women. I didn't create self-sufficient 
boys and girls. I made you to need me. And so he's serious. Now, in his case, God is merciful. He said, I'm sending Aaron out to you. Aaron will be your prophet. You'll be like God to, to him. I'll speak to you. You'll speak to Aaron. And they had this whole deal set up. And eventually that went away. But God worked with Moses in his weakness, and he, he did more than deliver a people out of Egypt. He also made a man of God, a man who trusted God, a man who became fearless because he knew of the limitless supply of the God who sends. So the people cried out, and God says, I come, I'm coming down. And when he said, I'm coming down, he sent someone. The only thing standing between a work of God in and around where you and I live is this connection between your heart and the heart of the Father. That's it. We talk about revival. We say we'd like to see revival. But if we understood that revival is simply what happens when God's people come alive, when we get reconnected to the vine, the revival is simply the fire that's ignited from our own personal relationship with the Lord. Do we understand that? That that's what it is? And you don't need that to happen in the whole church, by the way. I would love to see it happen on a grand national scale, international scale. I'd love to see it. But you don't have to wait for somebody else to turn to God and say, send me. You don't have to wait for anybody else. You can do it this morning. When God called out and said, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. That quickly became, who am I? Is God calling you this morning? Will you like Isaiah, we studied him two weeks ago, say, here am I, send me. Or will you say, here am I. And then you heard what God was about to do. And you said, but who am I? Dear one, you and I are inadequate. God did not make you with all the resources to accomplish what he wants to do through you. He simply asks you to come to him and say, Send me. Send me. Here am I. Send me.